everybody, welcome to another episode of Roadmapped, a podcast where we chat with products leaders around the world about their journey into product management and explore the decisions behind the products they work on. I'm your host, Sean Crow, along with my business partner, Thomas Korczynski. And today we're super excited to welcome our guest, Sky Bacchus. Sky is a senior product manager at Brandfolder, which is a digital asset management software for marketers and creatives. Sky, thanks for chatting with us today. Happy to be here. So tell us a little bit more about Brandfolder. Yeah, um, Brandfolder is a really awesome company to work for. I've been there for about six months, so I'm still pretty new. Um, But we really focus on creating a digital asset management platform that enables marketers and creatives to really like organize all of the content and assets they create, distribute them across the world, um, and to also, you know, kind of create them in an environment that's really iterative. Okay, cool. Yeah. So what's like one of the main use cases that you typically see for, for the product? Yeah, I would say the primary use case is, hey, we're a company and we have a ton of different assets. We have logos, we have, you know, sales enablement materials for our sales team. We have all of these um, videos that we want to share on social and all of this content that we've created to like really elevate our brand and communicate to our customers. And we want to be able to have one single source of truth to actually house all of that and distribute all of that. Cool. That way you're not uh, digging through emails trying to find which logo to use. (laughs) Exactly. We definitely don't do that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, cool. Yeah, that's really interesting. So tell us about then a little bit more about your role there. So you've only been there six, seven months um, where you're probably a lot of onboarding, but like, where are you at now and what hats are you wearing? Um, you know, I have, my role is really interesting at Brandfolder because I'm their first like real, real product person. <laughs> um, so they um, wow. have, you know, been a, a pretty small company and they're growing really quickly right now. So that's one of the major reasons I joined is because it's such a great opportunity to help, you know, build up the product practice as I, I dreamed it always could be. So that's kind of where I'm at now. Um, and it's been so much fun um, just coming on, t- on board and really trying to understand how the company works, how all of the different stakeholders interact with each other, what areas they really need help in when it comes to their relationship with product and then trying to develop something that really helps everybody across the organization. Sweet. Yeah, that's that's super exciting. So if the team, so the team's small, but is it, is it owned by Smartsheet? Was there an acquisition or is this kind of like a little team within Smartsheet? Yeah. So they were acquired um, last, uh, last year in September and so they've, you know, kind of been slowly mixed into the fold um, over the past few months. We still operate as our own individual tiny company inside of a much larger organization, which is an incredibly fun space to be in because you have all the stability that you could ever want. Um, but there's also all that freedom and agility that comes with being in a startup. Nice. Yeah, that, that's pretty cool. So yeah, yeah, you join this team and you get to do whatever you want now, pretty much. Like build the process <laughs> from the from the ground up. I get to do what's right. What's right yeah. for Brandfolder. So what is right? Like what are the things right now that you're you're focused on? Yeah, from a product perspective or more of like a how I'm kind of 
developing the product process? Yeah, both, I guess. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I'll start with um, the process side, because I think that was one of the things that I really focused on when I started, um, you know, really trying to understand how we can have a unified backlog because we didn't really have a backlog at that point. Um, so developing that, um, being able to really pull together a product backlog of all of the different requests that people are making across the organization, um, creating a really streamlined intake for you know, issues that are actual product issues that need to be triaged and resolved and then reporting back on that. So, um, and then also our launch calendar. So being able to kind of create all of these different ways to communicate what we're doing, what's up next, what issues we're resolving, um, being able to communicate that across the organization has been a big focus. Um, on the product side, I would say we're really focused on you know, building out the product to better support like enterprise level customers and really solving some of these um, problems that people have when they're trying to serve global audiences. So like local, improved localization, um, making sure that certain features really support um, people with all abilities um, and are, you know, like closed ca captioning, things like that. Okay. And so it sounds like there's a few people working on these initiatives with you. Is it mainly developers? Do you have other product managers in your team? What's kind of what's the team structure? Yeah. So right now we have a decently sized engineering organization. We have about four different squads. Um, a fifth one is breaking out, uh, which is fun. Um, I'm still the only product person, uh, but we are planning on hiring two additional product people this year, which is really exciting to kind of grow the team and to have other product people to talk with because product people are my favorite. <laughs> They're the best. <laughs> they are. They're so well, much we, fun. We might have a few people we can send your way because okay. we do these interviews and then like three weeks later, people are like, yeah, I'm looking for a job. <laughs> <laughs> I had a question. So when you're, um, so how did, how did you, how did the like organization function for so long without a person in product? You know, it was like, it, I think it's kind of crazy that the whole engineering team could have someone that, or have no one that's in product. Um, and I guess, what do you think was that epiphany that like prompted them to be like, yeah, we really need someone in product now? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of that um, situation that you find at startups fairly often where you have um, somebody who kind of wears the hat for a long time until they grow to a point where they can't wear that hat anymore. We do have a chief product officer and he actually, like I report into him and the um, head of engineering reports into him as well as our creative director. And, you know, he wore that hat for a really long time. Um, and, you know, he's brilliant. So he could do it until there, it came a time when he was like, okay, the team is large enough. I really need to like get some help on that side. So, um, you know, I think that's often what you find at startups where you'll have like a CEO, for example, who wears the product hat for a long time or a founder who wears that hat for a long time and then until they can't anymore because they're, they're growing at such a quick rate that they just can no longer support all of the people who need to be supported. Mm -hmm. So tell us about when you came into the organization, like what, 
how do you how do you even know where to start? Because I would imagine there's like you're being hired into a company that was acquired, and there's this huge team like that you're connected with now. Like, what do you do? Where do you start? Yeah, um, that's a very good question. Uh, it I always start by talking to people. I think that that is. You know, it's like anything else in product, right? Like you have to talk to your customers, you have to talk to your stakeholders. Like it all starts with those conversations, and that's kind of where I started. Um, lots of one-on-ones, one-on-ones with every like leader of every team across the organization at Brainfolder. Um, I met with every person at the time who was on the engineering team, and I really just started to go through the questions of, you know. Hey, like, what has your experience been like at Brandfolder? Um, do you, you know, are there any areas where you really see opportunity for us to kind of grow and evolve as an organization? Um, what are some of the biggest pain points that you're experiencing? What do you love? Like, I, I love asking those kind of retrospective questions because that's how you kind of get at, like, okay, is there a problem here? How can I best, you know, apply my skill set to solve it? Got it. So you're really just digging in to f- figure out what everyone else has been seeing and maybe not articulated yet. Yeah. And you kind of collect that. It's almost like doing like customer interviews and like product discovery in some ways, because you're still kind of going through that. Like, hey, I just want to talk to you and have a conversation. I don't want to like tell you what I think at this point. I really just want your unfiltered like thoughts. So I did a lot of that to try to understand where, you know, product could help, um, whether it's having more heads up about what features are coming up, um, about to be released, or, you know, what is the long-term strategy for the product? We want to be able to communicate with prospects about what we're thinking about, you know, six months from now. So just being able to understand where everyone's pain points are and then how the product you know, backlog or product roadmap can help solve those problems is kind of where I started. And then from there, I just have been building on top of that. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like the a lot of the upfront work was the process um, and figuring out those processes, like the back you know, backlog unification and issues tracking and all that. Uh, are you starting to shift more into the product side or are you still trying to get the, the processes in order? I think we're really like in a good spot now where with our like processes and things feel pretty organized and everyone has like a really clear idea of what we're working on and what I, what comes next. And um, so I think we're like pretty stable there now. So a lot of my focus is now switching to, you know, how can we really develop this like long-term vision and strategy for the product? Um, which is really fun um, because I think that's just like the creative stuff where you're like, let's think about the world in 10 years and what's cool and hip then. So that's, that's, that's part is like my happy spot. What, what helped build your ideal product vision? Uh, Because you said that you wanted to implement, you know, your perfect product plan. So how, uh, what, what went into coming up with this, you know, all the experiences to, to help feel that? Um, I mean, I, I just believe like the product mindset can be applied to almost anything. And the best organizations are doing that at every point in the process. So really understanding pain points and problems, and not necessarily focusing on like falling in love with the solution, you shouldn't do that, right? Like, you shouldn't just be like, "Mm, I just need a new process, because 
You should really mm-hmm. like understand, is there a problem here that needs to be solved? And then focus on solving that and helping people out. And so that's kind of like my philosophy on pretty much everything maybe. <laughs> and so I think that's really been the primary driver. So um, one, I love that you said that because that's something that recently came up and actually like one of our conversations is the whole like you have to make sure that you're never in love with the solution but you're really in love with the problem because otherwise you're going to be you know making decisions that may may or may not be in the best interests of you know where you're going um so what are some methods or how do you know that you're not in love with the solution and that kind of sanity check i think part of it is being really open to like feedback um, and changing when necessary. Cause like we all have an idea of how things might look. Um, but being able to say, you know, maybe I'm not thinking about that correctly. And like, I should kind of reframe, think about it this other way. I think being flexible in that is, is what really makes that switch from being in love with the solution to the problem. So you said that, uh, you like the product mindset for other, other things too. Is there something specifically um, that you also apply that mindset to? Probably, I don't know, probably a little <laughs> bit of everything, to be honest. Like, um, you know, I was actually thinking a lot about my career development recently, and I realized that I think to some degree I was applying that product mindset to how, like, I developed my career in some ways. Yep. Got it. And, and like thinking about it, you can literally apply it to anything. Like it, like you could apply that to relationships. You can apply it to uh, moving across the country, like literally anything. <laughs> totally. I, I absolutely agree. I think applying it to the product mindset to relationships is a totally valid thing. It's all about like open communication and like making sure that you're like reflecting on how things are going and talking about them and understanding if there's an opportunity for things to be better, like hundred percent agree. And being willing to take feedback. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, so, yeah, go ahead. Uh, so I was going to say, um, so you're talking about, you know, applying product to to your career. Um, so tell us how you fell into product management, because you didn't study product management at, at Vanderbilt. So like, how did, like, how do you end up here? You know, that it's kind of a weird journey. Um, I actually didn't know product management was a thing. Um, I honestly had no idea this career had existed. And if I did, I maybe would have been a little bit more, um, direct about my path to it. Um, but I definitely just kind of iterated on like my different roles and, and landed in product and then looked around and was like, oh yes, this feels right. Um, but yeah, I, I started out as a chemical engineer. Um, that's what I studied in school. I, um, pretty like pretty early on I started working in laboratories and I thought oh you know I'm going to be like I'm going to be in laboratories like I love this I love data I love experiments um I love doing stuff and like I love like working on a thing and seeing that thing succeed or fail which is usually the case (laughs) um but yeah so that was you know a really fun time I love learning and that's kind of what you do whenever you're studying engineering in college is you just learn a lot of stuff. Most of like a lot of which I don't use now. Like I can count on one hand, how many times I've actually used multivariable calculus (laughs) at a job. 
It's literally one time. So tragic. Just that, just that once. <laughs> it was <laughs> just one time. I sized a pump. Um, but yeah, my my uh, my career started out as a product development engineer um, at a filtration company where I focused on air and water filtration manufacturing um, and also like the optimization of materials, like the non-woven materials used in the filters. Um, so that was a really fun experience because I got to work with all different types of people. Um, I was in a manufacturing facility that also had a laboratory and I would run experiments with on the line, um, which is like shop talk for, you know, the line that it's manufactured on. Um, but yeah, that was a that was a fun time. And I ended up kind of finding a similar role um, focused in a slightly different space in Colorado. Um at a industrial hardware startup, which was hard, <laughs> um, an interesting choice. And then I was um, still a chemical engineer focused on product development, um, but I kind of shifted to the process and chemicals used in a waterless textile processing um, machine. I, it's it, We used liquid carbon dioxide it's a very interesting space. Um, we had at that time really pursued a hardware as a service model, which is not often heard of, but we tried it. It didn't work out. Um, is that is that just like rent, renting out the hardware? Yeah, it's kind of like we own the machine. You put it on site. You pay us a lot of money and we will take care of it for you and we'll like deliver it whenever you're done with like your you know, three-year contract, we'll go pick it up too. And, you know, all this, we'll do all the servicing, provide you all the chemicals, that kind of thing. So, so it's, it's it, like car leasing. Yeah. But with like machines that cost half a million dollars. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. Um, that didn't work out. Uh, you know, a lot of startups fail. So I was like the fifth employee they hired. Um, and that was a, a fun and rowdy time. I was just like doing sketchy lab things and, we were like really trying to to make it work. We had like some funding um, from Patagonia through their like one million and change program, and we were just like full on pursuing sustainable textile processing. Um, it was it was tough, and I after that I kind of realized I didn't want to be in a laboratory anymore. <laughs> it had been like almost almost a decade in labs at that point, so I was like I need to switch. Um, so then I ended up volunteering at Conservation Colorado to help with their um, Colorado Public Lands Day. Um, it was the inaugural, inaugural one. Um, and I helped like manage their WordPress website. And I talked to a bunch of people all across the state about different events that we could plan and like got all of their information and kept this website up to date. And I was like, this is fun. Like, I like this. How do I like, what is this called? <laughs> Um, and then I ended up just finding a role that sounded kind of similar at Bale Resorts. And that kind of started my product career um, in software. Uh, yeah, that's super interesting. So what uh, what were you doing at Vail then? Did they have a, an app? Yeah, um, they have an app called Epic Mix, which is, you know, if, the Epic if you're... Pass. I've learned. I've learned there's two <laughs> factions in, in Denver. <laughs> there are... 
epic yeah, and so i can't even remember the other one it's I, I, icon icon, icon. Yeah. oh yeah when i was there that was first coming out and it was like a big deal we're like this is the first major competitor to like step up to the plate what are we going to do about it um it was really fun um but yeah we had i focused on epic mix um they had just acquired whistler blackcomb and my first big project was um kind of absorbing their mobile app and some of the features and functions into Epic Mix and then sunsetting the Whistler Black Home app, which was a fun project because, you know, not often in product do you get to start your career with sunsetting something, but I did. So that was cool. Um, and it was a fun app to work on because I love skiing and just being able to be like, oh, I'm just going to like think about skiing all day. This is super fun. Um, I got to go to Whistler to do like my user acceptance testing, which was super fun. Um, perk. <laughs> major perk. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a really fun first, like true product experience. And, you know, my manager totally went out on a limb hiring me because I like, his name's Aaron, Aaron Nagel. He's great. Um, <laughs> he like, he and I had some coffee. He was like, you know, you don't really have experience doing any of this, but I feel like you could pick it up pretty easily. Um, in undergrad, I did a lot of Python and like C++ and was really into Arduino for a bit. Um, <laughs> good times. <Nice. laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. So tell us about that, that first PM job a little more. Cause I, I imagine there's some listeners that aren't in product world that want to be, how, how do you convince somebody to go out on a limb on you if you're not a product person already? Yeah. Um, that was a little bit of sales, I will say. Um, you know, I had a lot of the skills. I had just never combined them into one role before that had product owner in the title. So I had to be able to show like, hey, like I have experience working on product because I did in a very like tangible way. It was physical products. You know, I had a I had worked on something where I had really thought about the product, been able to iterate on the development of the product, and then measure my success. And you know, I think you can really kind of like show that for a lot of different things, even if it's not a software product. There are lots of things that can kind of be like fit into that mold in some way. Um, so I think that was one of the key things. And then being able to show that I had an aptitude to learn. Um, like I could learn things fast and pick it up, like convincing him that I had that skill set and I could really like bring that to Vail, I think was really important. Um, and then like good communication skills, being able to show that I had prior work experience, work, working with tons of different people, tons of different stakeholders, and I could actually communicate effectively across all of those different teams was really important. Um, so being able to show some of those like individual skills and different roles and say, you know, I really want to bring all of those together in this role. I think that really helped make a difference in me landing the role versus not landing the role. And how long were you there, uh, with Vail? I was there for one year okay. and then I hopped. Yeah. <laughs> Did you go to Iconic or what? <laughs> or <Iconic>? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I actually decided I really wanted to work at a software company. You know, I was at a ski company. It's um, 
I was in a ski company working on a, an app that didn't actually generate any revenue. <laughs> so I was, I was kind of ready for that next step. I was like, hey, I really want to go somewhere where I'm working on a product that we sell to users. And it's not just all fun and games. Like there's like there's money on the line. So that's what I did. Cool. And I assume that's when you jumped over to uh, Smartsheet slash Brandfolder. Um, actually, I before moving to Brandfolder, I was at a company called WellTalk, um, where we focused on healthcare technology. Um, cool. I was there for almost three years, um, and I focused on their Cafe Well app when I first started, which kind of leveraged my rules engine experience, um, leaderboard experience. So some of the things that we had in Epic Mix were things they wanted to build out inside of their um, healthcare like incentives application. And so that's kind of where I started. And then I transitioned to owning their campaigns platform. Got it. So it sounds like WellTalk is where, where you really got your product chops like solidified. Yeah, I would definitely say that is the case. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so of the three like kind of product teams you've been on, what are some of the differences that like maybe you like or dislike in terms of like size or team setup or structure? Oh, I haven't thought about that one too much. It's interesting because right now I, you know, it's uh, like product management um, is pretty small at my current role. But we actually can call ourselves the product team um, as design, product management, and engineering. We are all the product team, which I love. Um, you know, we really believe in this ethos of the product engineer who, and it kind of sounds like you guys probably, you know, fall into that category too, where it, you're not just doing development work. You're like, you're doing development work with a really strong product mindset and like a high level of user empathy. And I absolutely love that approach to a product development team. Like I'm there to really add a ton of like business context. And if there's like any type of, you know, financial reasoning for why we're making certain decisions, like, hey, there's this huge market opportunity. That's why we're building this. And it also helps, it'll solve all of these pain points for users, but then the team really like understands that and they actually figure out a lot of the details. Like this is, I would say this is like brain folders, definitely my favorite so far and that approach because it's not just like, oh, product management team. It's like, we're all a team and we're doing it together. Um, you know, while talk, we, uh, followed scaled agile framework for a while, um, which is like, like very, like I can understand it for like really large organizations, but it, it's, it's kind of slow. Um, you know, we're CICD right now and like, it feels like night and day sometimes whenever I think about like scaled agile framework versus like CICD, it's just, you know, I understand that there are different needs whenever you're in the healthcare industry too. Like security compliance is really strict. <laughs> so that's kind of why, but like, it's, it's interesting. I, I'm not, I don't think I'm a huge, huge fan of like the scaled agile framework methodology. Is there any framework or methodology other than CICD, like specifically that you guys like to adhere to? Um, not that I know of. I mean, we, you know, we follow your basic like scrum practices and, and things like that. But 
Um, I would say that we're not like following anything like too stringently. It's more like, let's focus on what needs to be done and, and do that and like solve the problems as they, you know, as we can um, versus let's just like take this framework and adopt it to our process because that's a thing we could do. Mm -hmm. Um, Earlier you said that you like your sweet spot is thinking about the world in 10 years and figuring out how to fit inside of that. What, so like, what does that look like right now for you guys? Like what, what are you planning for? What does the world look like in 10 years? (laughs) Oh my gosh. I've been thinking about this a lot lately. Um, I am so excited for like the future of what we can do on mobile phones. I think like with, you know, 5G becoming more prevalent and having like edge become more prevalent, we're able to like do things that would have just taken, like you would have had like AR, for example, on the phone, being able to transform every experience using AR. That was completely like, out of touch many years ago because there's just no way that it would ever load, right? Like you would just, like if you could imagine trying to do AR and 3G, that'd be awful. Um, no. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm so excited for like what that really brings because I would say a big part of our products that you know we're trying to grow is our content delivery network. Um, and as I think about how, how can our content delivery network power commerce in the future or power like mobile experiences in the future. Um, You know, I think there's a huge opportunity when it comes to like rendering 3D files for AR experiences. And, um, you know, that's kind of how I'm thinking about it. But that's, you know, I still haven't vetted all of this with my with with other people and on my team. So I should maybe not talk (laughs) too much about it. But I think that stuff is so fun. You know, that's kind of where I'm starting to think and like the future of AI and machine learning. I think there are going to be certain roles that change and evolve over time. And some of my target personas are like marketers and creatives. And I think there's a huge opportunity for those types of roles to be impacted by those technologies. So thinking about, okay, well, how can like how can we begin automating certain things for people? That's already a very common thing. How can we start automating things for these specific roles? What types of things are they doing today? Which ones are repetitive? Um, how can we really apply our technology to help you know, automate those things, but also enrich them so that they're, it's almost, maybe you're, you're starting with something that a person could have created, like, like automated content creation. Uh, So I think there's just, there's a lot of different tangents that I'm kind of going down right now. Um, But I I like just being able to like, start jotting all of those down in my weird spider web, like, (laughs) brain map. But I yeah, it's it's fun. Thomas and I used to have an idea Trello board that we would write down all those like future thinking ideas we gave that up for a while because it was just a distraction from like growing our business so we we're like okay we, we need we need to focus and do this for a little while <laughs> you could just call it an hap- a happy hour and <laughs> your your ideation happy hour um yep, that's true yeah yeah i mean th- well, sometimes that's what i'm doing it's just like oh i'm just gonna like have a glass of wine at like 8 p.m on a night and just like think about the future of the world and hover cars exist and things like that. 
Sounds like the best happy hour. Yeah. <laughs> um, cool. Thomas, do you have any follow-up questions before we go into the rapid fire? No. Besides, I love the idea of the happy hour and the setting time aside. I was reading this um, neat article about how we're constantly like so busy um, and how we need to like de-busy ourselves so that we have opportunities for our time, like minds to wander because that's where we can get most creative. Um, and so I think working from home and this whole like pandemic shift has been done a great disservice to the whole like letting your minds wander because it's doing everything but to just constantly focus. So, yep, I'm writing down the whole <laughs> setting time aside, happy hour line. Well, especially for you... Thomas, because you used to cycle a lot, right? And like you're like you've just become a workaholic and you don't cycle anymore. So like that was your time. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And like for me, I'm yeah. trying to go hiking more. Like that was a big part of this move. So my first two hikes, I was like, oh my God. Like I didn't look at my phone for an hour and a half. It was amazing. <laughs> yeah. And you can get so many ideas from trees. Yeah. <laughs> it's something, it's wasn't the best quote we've ever had on the podcast. Um, <laughs> uh with uh like the color green like you like a person being around things that are green just like stimulates things to a whole new level yeah it has like a calming effect i think is like typically associated with the color green which is why people tend to de-stress and relax when they're in nature love it and that's why we've hence all of my plants yeah exactly (laughs) (laughs) i was thinking the same thing (laughs) yep I was admiring your shelf back there. I just put up these shelves and I, I need some, some tchotchkes to put on top of my shelves. Oh my God, get yourself a candle. <laughs> I, yeah, I do need I do, you know, I did buy a candle. Maybe I'll put it up there. <laughs> um, all right, let's get into the rapid fire. Uh, number one, what books are you currently reading or some that you recommend? Um, well, if it wasn't apparent by my um, falling in love with the solution versus the problem comment inspired by Marty Kagan. Um, that is That book is really great. And that's a big topic of conversation in it where you shouldn't fall in love with solutions. Um, so if you're looking for a product book, that's a good one. Um, and then I really like sci-fi. So I'm going to say the Broken Earth series by N.K. Jemisin. That's a really good one. Uh, it's three books. Excellent. Excellent. Especially if you I... like geology. Oh, cool. So I'm a huge sci-fi nerd as well. And so a few episodes ago, we interviewed someone and they recommended The Three-Body Problem. I love that book. Is it good? Okay. So I downloaded the audiobook and I am just really struggling to get into into this story. I think I just got to give it another like chapter, but like it just, I can't get into it for some reason. And I think I'm just giving up too early. (laughs) I read it on a Kindle and I would say listening to it might be challenging um, versus okay. reading it. I don't. I am not always the best listener. I am much better at reading with my eyeballs. So uh, it, when it comes to absorbing things. Yeah. Okay. Cool. But this one's called the book or, or the Broken Earth trilogy. The Broken Earth series. Yep. It's okay, so good. Sweet. I will get it. Um, all right. Number two. What podcast are you currently listening to? Um, I've always been a fan of how I built this um, with Guy Raz. I think those stories are so fascinating. I tend to only focus on like the technology related ones. Um, 
but those are really great. Um, and I also really like Darknet Diaries, uh, which yeah, is like I haven't heard of that. tech storytelling. It's like tech and cybercrime and all of these like really interesting stories. Um, I find it fascinating. Cool. It's rare that we get a new one on here. So everyone, everyone says the same things. <laughs> Darknet Diaries. Um, all right, number three. What tools can you not live without as a product manager? Um, I would say that for me, the like just some type of tool to organize my product backlog, team backlog thing. Um, you know, I've used Rally in the past and Jira, and um, right now I use Smartsheet. And everything's like interconnected. Um, it's probably obvious why I use Smartsheet because they own my company. Um, but it's been really awesome to use because I can just connect like my product backlog to like the team backlog and like get all these intake forms and just having something where I can organize the like intake and the output of everything is like kind of critical. I think I would lose my mind without that. Yep. Yeah, we, we used to use Smartsheet for, or we, we did for a bit for like process tracking um, and like just, yeah, tracking project processes. Um, all right. Number four, what are your top three most used apps on your phone? I would say Spotify by far, probably by a long shot. Um, huge Spotify fan, pretty much since it existed. Um, I've been using it. My playlists are sick, so... <laughs> Highly recommended. Um, I also You'll have use to send like... us some playlist links. We'll, we'll, we'll put them in the show notes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> For sure. Um, I use Reddit quite a bit. Um, you know, that's a, always a fun place to just get a, fall into like some weird black hole of knowledge. Um, and then I'm a big fan of Medium. So I like reading Medium articles quite a bit. Nice. Thomas is a big Medium reader. You just sent me one today, didn't you? I think so, yeah. I I love the self-help kind of business area there. And then I go between that and Wall Street Journal is like my two places that I consume media. And that's it, yeah. That's all you need. Number five, what app or tool feature have you recently been surprised and delighted by? Um, I was really excited to see this question because... Spotify released this feature called Only You yesterday, and I thought it was so fun because I'm a big fan of the wrapped list. It's just such an interesting way to use data, and they really look for like unique patterns in your listening history and then like display that in a fun and colorful format for users. Um, I was really excited that came out yesterday, and I'm nice. just overjoyed. <laughs> yeah, I saw the press release, but I didn't, I didn't look at it yet. <laughs> Um, number six, who do you follow and get inspiration from? Um, most recently, I have been reading a ton of like Gibson Biddle's um, Medium articles. He was in product at Netflix, and he does a bunch of deep dives into Netflix's like product strategy development, both like near term and long term. So they talk about. Um, so he talks a lot about you know how in like the. 2000s, he they were thinking about world domination and streaming, um, which is like so forward thinking, right? Because now it's a reality and they've taken it like 10 steps further. But it's um, cool because he kind of breaks down how they, you know, tackled product strategy using a couple of different frameworks and just like thought exercises, which I find to be really fun. 
Cool. That's awesome. You said Gibson. What's his last name? Biddle. Biddle. Cool. Uh, number seven. Are there any product management trends that you're excited about in 2021? I don't really know if it's a product management trend, but I think it is a trend. Um, like the use of no code tools. And I think that there's a huge opportunity in like the product management function, which is kind of maybe why I'm so hot on Smartsheet right now and using it for everything at work, because you can kind of use the product backlog to drive organizational excellence. Like for every team, um, I, I'm a big proponent that the product backlog can be the source of organizational excellence and no co code tools kind of give you that power to like build whatever flow you need to make other teams successful. Yeah, it's, we've been, I, I've messed with some no code things a few times and it's surprising how much you can do with them now, like shocking. Mm-hmm. It really is. Yeah. You can build like, like I basically built Rally and Jira inside of Smartsheet, but it's like almost better. Don't tell anyone I said that. <laughs> hey, we interviewed someone and he was, he's self-proclaimed the anti-Jira movement is upon us. <laughs> I didn't know there was a movement, but I'll, I'll look it up and see if I, I can think he, I think he started it, yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I, think he's, he was, that, I think he was in Denver, so we, we'll, we'll get a little group together. <laughs> okay. We'll just like sit around and talk about things that aren't Jira. Uh, if anyone listening wants to reach out or learn more about you, where can they go? Um, I am on LinkedIn, obviously. Um, and, you know, I'm starting to write some Medium articles, too, just about some of the things that I think are interesting and also to help me collect my thoughts and organize them a little bit better. So you can find me on there. Cool. Well, Sky, thanks so much for being on the show. This is great. Yeah, thanks for having me. This has been really fun.